Well, thank you so much, uh, Rebecca. That introduction was quite humbling and overwhelming. Thank you. You made me sound wonderful. Now you, the bar's set here. Can I just bring you all back down to a reality of I'm just a girl here to talk about the Bible and God. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for having me here today. Can I get the clicker? Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, so I don't need to introduce myself. Oh, he's on. And where do I point it? Just anywhere? Oh, okay. Okay, good, good. Thank you. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't need to introduce myself. Uh, I am here on behalf of World Vision, um, but I'm going to be continuing your series on justice and mercy. You've been looking at justice and mercy for a few weeks. So, have you? Yeah? In life groups. So, I'm just going to give you some framework around that, some biblical um, theology around that. And hopefully not repeat what you've been learning, but or if it is repeating something you've been learning and digging deep into, hopefully it's going to reinforce that and just encourage you in that. So, oh, no, I think it went to sleep. What did I do? There. No. Yeah, we're not going to have a clicker. Are we? No. Anyway. We will get there. Um, I'm going to look at a story today from the Bible, which we all probably know really, really well. I want to look at the story in Luke 7. Now, there aren't any children. There are some children still in the room. But when we talk uh, about this passage, we, I like to change things up a little bit just, just in case there are children in the room and there'll be questions later that parents are like, this is not the right time to have this conversation. So let's see if you notice some subtle changes. If you can't spot them, have a look at Luke 7 yourself later on, and you'll, you'll see what I've done. Um, so and within that framework of Luke 7, I'm going to then reflect back to Deuteronomy, and I'm going to build some framework around that. So let's first look at Luke 7 from verse 36 to 50. So skip on again. We're just going to read that together. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain estate agent from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind, behi behind him at his feet, weeping. Her, teals, her, tears, teals, her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him, if you keep skipping on, I'm just reading on. Um, I think a few more slides there. Then Jesus told him, a man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, cancelling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he cancelled the larger debt. So, <clears throat> if you skip on again. Yep, there we go. What we have gathered from this passage is she's an estate agent, a sinner, and has a lot to be forgiven for. Any estate agents in there? Actual estate agents in the room? I'm sorry that I've used that profession to cover up. Um, she has been forgiven. Go ahead. Um, for being an estate agent, and she is extremely, extremely grateful. Uh, the religious leaders uh, are judgmental and consider themselves sinless. 
and they do not think that they need to be forgiven for anything. So we're going to kind of look at this and, and in that consider what is justice. So let's take a step all the way back to Deuteronomy. Now, I don't know, maybe there is someone in this room that Deuteronomy is your favorite book. Hands up. No. Normally we avoid Deuteronomy. It's, um, it's full of gene genealogies. It's full of laws. It's quite hard to understand sometimes. But really, can I just inspire you to maybe give it a go? Because the book of Deuteronomy is really amazing. It ultimately is the constitution for the people of God. I know that sounds very official, but that is what we're looking at when we're looking at Deuteronomy. The Israelites are standing on the edge of the promised land. They have been freed from slavery and then spent 40 years in the wilderness. And Moses is standing before them. He's not going in because he's been naughty. But what they're doing here is they're looking back and looking from where they've come from and where they've been. They've been freed from slavery. They've been spending 40 years in the wilderness. But they're looking forward to what they've been given, the promised land, and going into the promised land in light of where they've come from. Now, what is happening here? Moses is communicating to the Israelites what God has told them. What, what I'm giving you and why I'm giving you this and what you should do with this amazing gift. What I expect of you. While all the time remembering where you came from. So it takes the shape, the book of Deuteronomy actually takes the shape of a normal Near Eastern governing document for a nation. It's like a covenant agreement. But essentially, the whole book centers around the Shammah. I don't know if you know what the Shammah is. It's two verses from Deuteronomy 6, and it's something that Jews would have said every morning and every night. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. I'm sure you know that, especially from Jesus quoting it. Really, Deuteronomy is the Ten Commandments and the Ten Commandments are ex an expansion of the Shammah. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then the rest of the laws that Deuteronomy goes into, a lot, a lot of detail, are just the details, the expansion of the Ten Commandments, which is ultimately the extension of the Shammah. And that's what it all centers around. Deuteronomy is a radical, and it book and it is radical in comparison to any other document like this that has that was found it was the first time in recorded history that there was ever tax for the poor one of the things that you see right the way through the whole book is the constant call to look after the vulnerable and that is all based on loving the lord your god with all your strength with all your heart and with all your soul so let's look at Deuteronomy. We're going to go look at chapter 15. So, yep, brilliant. There should be no poor among you, for the Lord your God will greatly bless you in the land he has given you as a special possession. You will receive this blessing if you are careful to obey all the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. The Lord your God will bless you as he has promised. And go on. Yep. But if there are any poor Israelites in your towns when you arrive in the land the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Instead, be generous and give them whatever they need. Do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone alone because the year for cancelling debts is close at hand. If you refuse to make the gift and the needy person cries out to the Lord, you will be considered guilty of sin. 
So what's happening here in these very few verses is there should be no poor among you, but if there are in your towns, then you need to. Can anyone see what's happening here? There's a complete contradiction within seconds, and the Bible holds no contradictions. Would you agree? (laughs) But that's what's happening. Number one, God's saying this is how it should be. This is the way, this is his design, this, this is how he made us all to function well. But number two, I know what you're like. So, because I know you, and I know what you're like, and I know how it is, this is what you should do then. So Israel was set up around this idea of Sabbath. I'm sure you've heard about this before, every seven days to give slaves rest, every seven years, uh, a, a Sabbath year. Um, every 50 years, a jubilee. Is that good? Do I? Oh, brilliant. The debts were cancelled and the land was returned back to the original owner. So the whole system of Israel was set up around this idea of Sabbath. Why? Because it was set up so that no one ever got rich at the expense of anyone else. No one ever got poor because someone else was treading on them, mistreating them, taking advantage of them. This is just a side note. Um, There's no record ever of Israel practicing a year of Sabbath or Jubilee, which is fascinating. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the year of counseling debt, as it says in the passage there, what's happening is God is like saying, don't be mean-spirited and refuse someone alone because the year of counseling debt is close at hand. Because if, if it was coming to that reset moment, the value of the land would have been a lot cheaper because ultimately... Whoever owned it originally was just going to get it by the end of that year. So he was saying, look, just because it's coming up to that year of cancelling debts, don't be mean-spirited. Um, still be generous in that moment. So, working. So, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. <coughs> the passage continues. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. They're all... <coughs> There will always be some in the land who are poor. This is why I'm commanding you to share freely with the poor and with other Israelites in need. Now, they've gone into the land and everyone has been allocated land. All the other tribes had to give to the, um, the, the priests and everyone because they couldn't earn. They had to give a tenth of what they produced. And it, it's, it's not like that now, but it was similar here in Northern Ireland your security, your wealth, your well-being was based on the land that you owned. So if you had no land, you literally had no security, wealth, or well-being. So everything was about the land. <coughs> Sorry. Let me tickle on the throat. God is saying, you have come from slavery, and I'm giving you all this blessing. So share it around. Give it to someone whose crops have failed. Like things happen in life out of our control. People end up in situations, whether it's poverty or a place of need of any kind, for all sorts of reasons. So he's saying, give what you have, if you still have it and your crops haven't failed, give to someone who is in need. There shouldn't be anyone in need among you because you should be looking after each other. We see this the whole way through Deuteronomy. Poverty in the Near East was similar to what we would understand poverty as in economic poverty, but it was also People who were poor had no voice, had no power. It encompassed a lot of other things. And there is a theological kind of understanding of vulnerability. Um, 
and it's like a cortex of four groups of vulnerable people, widows, orphans, immigrants, and poor. Ultimately, all these people, these four groups of people, had land but lost it for some reason. Thanks, Pam. That's great. Appreciate it. They had land but had lost it for some reason. But God is saying, whatever the reason, doesn't matter. They shouldn't be left to struggle within the system. And all of Deuteronomy are the plans that God gives to the Israelites to make sure this doesn't happen. So, there should be no poor among you. Hold that in the background. Ultimately, all that this is saying, the people of God should be building a community that is radically opposed to that of the world, the kingdoms of the world, where no one is vulnerable, no one is powerless, and no one is voiceless. This should be the foundation of God's people. So let's go back to Luke 7. <clears throat> when I was growing up, I did not dream of becoming an estate agent. And I don't think any, any young girl would ever dream of that. So why has she had to resort to selling houses? <laughs> why? Let's think about that. Because she has nothing else to sell. She has no other way to have any kind of financial security, any kind of hope in the future. Maybe it was because she's a widow or an orphan. It's gone as far back as when she was a child. Who knows, really? We, do, we don't know <clears throat> from this passage. We don't know what's happened to her, but she is destitute. But in the kingdom of God and the people of God, no one should be destitute. No one should ever be put in that position. And that is the central message of the constitution of the people of God. And this is what justice is. Justice is central to the kingdom of God, to the way of God's people. And it's not just because it's the right thing to do. It is because it is the very nature of who God is, his nature. It's how the kingdom of God works. It's the ways in which God has designed each and every one of us to flourish and function. So justice will exist when there is no vulnerable person among you. So, there we go. Yeah. So here's this woman, this state agent, who came to see Jesus. Let's think about it. Whose job was it to make sure God's people stayed on track? To make sure there was no vulnerable people among them? It was the religious leaders. Who was judging her when she came to see Jesus? It was the religious leaders. Justice, if we look at the actual original context of the translation from Hebrew or Greek, it means misfat and it actually means <coughs> righteousness, clear, clarity, cleansliness, cling, everything like purity, really. And in all of that, what it is, is it's not like what we understand where um, the framework, framework is about everyone getting equal measure just of what, according to what they deserve, merely according to what they've done in our like, justice system. If that's a real Greek Western view of justice. The Hebrew thought of justice is something completely different. And actually, if we look throughout many passages in the Bible, Isaiah 40, um, Psalm 72, if we look at any of those passages, we see actually justice and what it really is. And it, it is, 
it's equal and the same as righteousness, and that's not about doing the right thing and looking wonderful. That's about living out the kingdom of God and what he is, his nature. Um, and ultimately, another dynamic, and the best way, I think, to sort of demonstrate what justice is, is to think of shalom. Have, do you all know that shalom doesn't just mean, it means peace, but that doesn't just mean the absence of conflict. It actually means wholeness, completeness, everything working as it should work. And that's what justice ultimately is. When justice is in, is in place, when justice exists, we are all in, sh in the state of shalom. There's, and that means then there's no vulnerable among us, there's no poor, there's no voiceless, there's no powerless. Ultimately, in all of that, that is justice, and that is justice and mercy at work. So this woman, she should never, ever have been allowed to reach such a state of destitution that being an estate agent, agent was her only, only option. The people staring and judging her here in the passage in Luke 7 are the very people who should have made sure and done whatever they could have to make sure she was never in the position she ended up in. So in this part of Deuteronomy, when, it, when uh, Moses is telling the Israelites, if you refuse to make the gift and the needy person cries out to the Lord, you will be considered guilty of sin. You've got to parallel that and kind of hold it in light of Luke 7 and what Jesus says. The one who's been, get for, been forgiven the most will be the most happy. Um, the one who's been forgiven the least wouldn't be that bothered. But who is actually needing forgiveness here? Is it the woman, the estate agent? Or is it the actual leaders, the Pharisees? I don't know if Jesus was sarcastic. I don't know. But I kind of feel sometimes when I read the Bible that he maybe was. <laughs> and I think there's a little hint of sarcasm here. In that, why would she need more forgiveness? Like, and ultimately, that is what it is saying because she's so grateful because she has been living a life of sin. But she should never have had to do that. She had to live a life of sin like what her job was. There was no other option for her. But the shame that that brought onto her life, the treatment that she was given in that culture was horrendous. So she was living from that place of shame, living from that place of knowing forgiveness on a deep, deep level. But really, who should and needs to be forgiven the most here are the religious leaders because it was their job, it was their responsibility to understand the covenant that God made with them, to understand what way the kingdom of God should function to protect people like her. No one should ever be so desperate that they have to turn to this to survive. So <clears throat> this is just a little bit of a conclusion. The kingdom of God should always be a place of justice where no one is excluded and no one is vulnerable. Oh, that, that was not two weeks ago, ignore that one. But I, um, seriously, we could frame this in so many ways. If we look about, if we look at some of the parables that God talks, that Jesus uses in the, um, in the New Testament, um, he's always trying to say and always trying to communicate that everyone benefits from the kingdom of God, no matter where you're at. Um, and the ones who benefit the most are the ones who can't get a break. 
No one should ever be so desperate that they have to turn to a state agency just to survive. And then ultimately, we get to be a part of bringing that about. We can actually make a difference. <clears throat> and we can start by helping children, and I guess that's what I'm here to tell you about, and I'm here to tell you that in World Vision, um, that is, that's our goal. We're here to help the most vulnerable children across the world. And we're here to do that so that ultimately children have a hope in the future, that n the poverty they experience doesn't have to lead them to have a life where they have to be an estate agent or a lawyer or a banker. <laughs> Joke. Um, but things are so different from when Jesus walked the earth or from when the Israelites were entering the promised land and God frames it in the sense of if there's a poor, any poor among you in your town. Things are very different in our world now. Yes, yes, this should be taking place in our communities, church communities, in our local areas, but we cannot isolate ourselves and just focus on those who are local to us um, and live next door. We, we really just can't. We can't isolate ourselves from people across the world. Let's think about it this way. If I told you to take off every item of clothing that you were wearing right now that doesn't come from this country, I think some of us might be a little bit embarrassed or a little bit uncomfortable. Um, or don't eat anything that doesn't come from this country for the rest of the month. I think we might be a little bit hungry. So we can't just think about what God is saying here about how we have to look after each other and make sure there's no vulnerable and poor among us, as in just in our context, in our, in our neighborhood, um, that was so American, in our street, in, in our towns, in our country, Northern Ireland, in the UK. We can't just think about it in those contexts. We have to think further afield. So we, when we talk about there being no poor among us, we need to really do that and be honest about that because we live, we live in a global community. We really do. And this is the really exciting bit. This is what the kids of Bangor Vineyard are doing. They have stepped up. They are thinking beyond themselves. They are looking outside of their local community and trying to figure out what this means and how this, this can happen in their lives for someone across the world. So this week, they volunteered to be chosen. Chosen is an initiative within World Vision um, that a genius mind came up with. Uh, so it's sponsorship with a twist. It is where the child, the children in the community that we are serving and helping to recover from all sorts of disasters, the children get to pick their sponsor. So we won't get to choose as sponsors. We don't get to choose who we help. They get to choose who helped them, which is so, so beautiful. Um, they get given the power. They don't have any choices in their lives. They have not chosen um, to be hungry. They don't even get to choose what they wear, all sorts of things. They have no choices. So this choice that they get to make gives them so much power and digni dig dignity. And the ripple effect is, I could go on for a whole two-hour sermon on the ripple effect of them getting to choose, so, but I'll not do that now. But what happens is a picture gets taken, um, which the Vineyard Kids got taken a few weeks ago. It gets sent out to a community, and the one that we're sending the picture out to is in Pajuli in northern Uganda. And it is up on a, like, lots of washing lines type thing and lots of strings. And the children come and have a choosing party. 
and then they come and just pick a picture and choose who's going to help them, help them have a hope and a future. And the very, very exciting thing about all the timing with Rebecca joining me in Uganda in a few weeks is Rebecca's going to witness the choosing party. So she's going to be there when the kids get to come and they'll see the, the picture of the Bangor Vineyard kids and she'll get to see the moment that one little child chooses Bangor Vineyard kids to help them have a hope in the future. So that is extremely exciting that Rebecca's going to get to see that live. And just to give you a little overview of Pajuli in northern Uganda, 20 to 30 years ago, it was attacked by a rebel group called the Lord's Assistance Army. Um, not very nice people. Uh, and this attack caused millions of people to be displaced, leaving their homes, their communities, everything they owned. Thousands of children from this community were kidnapped um, and actually forced to become ch child soldiers. So just really, really horrific. And so actually some of the adults now that have the children that are getting sponsored now, they've been um, displaced their whole lives. They have not had any kind of settled life. Um, it's been just really dysfunctional and really extreme poverty. Everything you can imagine that comes with that, that's what they've been experiencing. So we've been with them now a number of years, helping them to re-establish, helping them to re re recover, but ultimate, ultimately to rebuild their lives. Because our aim is a charity, it, any community we work with, we want to leave within 15 years so that they're self-sustainable, that they can um, become resistant to all and resilient to all the things that they are facing, which we don't really face, but that they have recovered and they've rebuilt their lives. And as a charity, this is where it all began. Um, a man called Bob Pierce, he, he just was broken by the things that broke God's heart. This was his prayer. Um, and he just, he just started to respond to need across the world. And then from that place of doing that himself, he then just built this whole charity um, that, that does it in over 100 countries in some of the most dangerous places. And um, we are actually the largest international, international children's charity in the world, but it's all based and inspired by our faith in God because we've encountered his love, but also we know his nature is justice and then we want to take part and, and do something about that too. So you're probably thinking, what are we that different from any other charity? So I'm just gonna give you a few, a few wee things um, that sort of clarify exactly who we are. Our vision is for every child to have life in its fullness, and I've already said that quite a lot, but our prayer is that um, for every heart, the will to make it so. And as a charity, we have been running for over 70 years. Um, our focus is working together with the most vulnerable in the most dangerous places to help them overcome poverty and experience fullness of life. And as I said, it's to help them recover, but also to become resilient and self-sustainable. We don't want to create dependence in any way. Um, oh, I didn't skip these on there. With being a charity that's been established for 70 years, what that means is we have a lot of experience and we failed a lot, so we've learned a lot and we know what works and what doesn't work. Um, and we work with communities, donors, partners, and governments across the world in all the countries that we work with. And what makes us different? This, I just can't say this enough. I, the more I've worked with World Vision, the more passionate I've become about how we do it and how well we do it. We are community-led. We, um, our staff and the countries or in the communities we work with, they are all locally-based people. So they understand the culture, they understand their communities, they understand the thinking, um, so we let them lead. What do you need? What is it that will help you recover? 
we're child-focused and we are faith-based, which not many people know about World Vision, that it is, an a, it is actually a Christian charity. So that is an overview. If you have any questions about World Vision after that, after do come chat to me. But this is the photo that will be in the Choosing Party in just, just nearly two weeks' time. Oh my goodness, we're, we're going to Uganda very soon. This little photo has been sent out. They're going to get it printed and this is the one that will be up for the choosing party. This is a cause for celebration, guys. I am honored to be able to come and just tell you more about World Vision, tell you more about what we do, why we do it, and how it makes a difference. But we can't do it without supporters like you, without the kids, Bangor Vineyard kids, being willing to step up and volunteer and think beyond themselves. And what is it that this is all really about? Well, ultimately, you are building justice and mercy into the hearts of your children by helping them hold things lighter, by helping them look beyond themselves, by helping them see the suffering that children their age are facing on the other side of the world, but by also, and more importantly, doing something about it. So like, we can all know about the injustice in the world, we can all know about the suffering, but if we don't do anything about it, what good is the knowledge? So you're not just talking about justice, <coughs> You're not just knowing about justice as the central heart of the kingdom of God, the nature of God. Um, you're responding and helping those in need. I just think that is cause for celebration. So really, all of this is to say thank you. You sure amazing to release your kids in this way. To They are actually leading the way in it. Um, and this generation will be continually released to do the things of the kingdom in a way that will have such a powerful ripple effect in the lives of the most vulnerable across the world. Um, and protect them from becoming estate agents and doing things that no child should ever, ever have to do as an adult. So, how are we for time? We're good? Okay, so I have a video that we could watch that just sort of gives you a, a better scope of what we do. So sponsorship is a big part of what we do, but um, we, we respond to emergency crisis across the world. Um, so we'll watch the video and then I'll, I'll just close. So it should play if I click on. World Vision is an agency, and we serve everyone. We're here in the middle of all these problems and needs. The coronavirus pandemic is accelerating at dramatic speed. Protective gear is running low. Veteran Captain Tom Moore. The sun will start shining on everyone. <laughs> but gives you a bit of a scope of all the crises we've been involved in and how long we've been doing what we do. Um, I think we'll just get that. Uh, so in all of this, I'm 
honoured. I'm honoured to be here and be able to come and talk to you guys. I'm honoured to help you process what does justice really mean um, and what does that mean not only as a follower of Jesus but for the people around me. And if you ever do get to dive in, have a deep dive into Deuteronomy, just notice the language around it. Theologians want are very um, fascinated about the language around Deuteronomy and how God is saying constantly um, it's about looking after your people, your community. It's not um, you have money and just you sort something out over there. It's a real connection community where we, we belong to each other, not just I'm here as a helper and an assistant and I have more than you, so there's this hierarchy kind of thing. It's not, it's we belong to each other, so how that helps us frame justice and frame our response to any kind of need around us. Um, you, you will notice that kind of language in Deuteronomy if you, if you ever want to dive deep. But really, thank you so much for having me along today. It's been an honour. I have loved getting to know Rebecca. Um, over coffee, we, we, we end up having very long coffee chats, don't we? Um, we are very excited about going to Uganda, aren't we? Excited, scared. scared, lots of things. So this is my first visit to um, one of our projects in, in country, so I am extremely excited. Also a little bit emotional, I'm not even there yet. Just gonna, yeah, because I just, uh, yeah, it's just a lot. There's a lot at play and there's a lot going on. But I'm really excited that Rebecca's going to be there to see the kids being chosen. And, and I hope to come back and we could maybe do a big reveal and we keep it like for a moment where we make it a real exciting moment for the kids and you guys as a community. Um, and then if anyone ever did want to at that point consider being chosen as an individual couple, I don't know, we, we can talk about it, we can see um, in the future how that might unfold unfold but it's an honor to be able to partner with you guys um, come chat to me at the end uh, if you have any questions about our work about anything that you've heard today or any of the bible passages the estate agent chat anything at all let me know come chat to me introduce yourself to me and um, do be in touch um, thank you so much pray for us pray for us going to uganda <laughs> it's going to be exciting and scary so yeah i'll hand back over to ben